On the final episode of Chicago Sports HQ Chatter for the week, we continue to make our way through the Cubs minor league system as South Bend play-by-play announcer Brendan King will be joining us. King has had a very fun journey. Uh, He was part of that 2019 South Bend championship team where he got to call the championship game. He got to call the playoffs where South Bend went a perfect 7-0 in the postseason that year. So we sit down to recap that season and then just basically dive into South Bend baseball this year. Uh, From a record side of things, South Bend is not where they want to be, but they have a loaded group of prospects. All these prospects have a chance to be at AA at either some point this year or some point next year. So there could be a lot of interchanging pieces in South Bend over the next 6 to 12 months, depending on how fast these prospects move through the system. So without further ado, let's welcome Brendan King to the show. Welcome hey, Dustin, back. Are to you another... Yeah, I'm here, Brendan. How are you? Hey, man. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. Uh, today's guest is a very special guest. He needs a very proper introduction because this is one of the best play-by-play announcers in minor league baseball. I don't care what anybody says. But this is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Brendan King, voice of the South Bend Cubs. Brendan, it's an honor to have you join me today. Thanks for taking some time. Hey, Dustin. Thanks for having me, man. And appreciate the compliment very much and uh, excited to talk some Cubs baseball with you. So let's just uh, give the listeners some insight on you. I know you've been with the South Bend organization for a few years now. You were not always the play-by-play announcer, if I remember correctly. But kind of just give uh, some of the listeners just kind of your journey and how you got to South Bend. Yeah, man. it's um, It's been quite the road. As you said, my first two years in South Bend, this was year number three, but, you know, I was working with a guy named Darren Archett, who was the number one announcer at the time. So I was his number two, really doing three innings a night, traveling on some select road trips and kind of just cutting my teeth in the organization and most importantly, having fun. So that was year one and year two. But I think the most fun part about those first couple of years is, you know, I got the call of the, uh, of the Midwest League Championship in 2019. So that was a blast in Clinton and really set the tone for what was to come and you know Dustin the pandemic really changed a lot of things with um, you know announcers in minor league baseball so kind of had the spring through some things and went back down to my offseason gig in Indianapolis with ESPN radio and had a lot of fun there covered the NCAA tournament which was held exclusively there in 2021 and and then was able to get back into the booth with the Indianapolis Indians last year working with Howard Kelman their announcer and and then some things changed in the broadcast booth here in South Bend. And, you know, they called me up, asked if I'd like to come back. And here we are. And it, it's cool to be on the call now for a full season, working with a great guy, Max Toma. And, you know, we, we uh, as you know, Dustin, we were a pretty stacked team. So it's been fun to watch. Yeah, and I kind of want to go back to that uh, 2019 season just for a couple minutes here. Uh, South Bend put together one of the best second half runs I've ever seen in the Midwest League especially kind of that final month of the season where they finished with the best record in the Cubs minor league system that year and yet they did not even win their own division ended up getting a wild card but all they did was run through the playoffs (laughs) without losing a single game they won the first two series two zip they won the championship series three zip and made it look pretty easy in the process just kind of talk about that run and just 
the experience you had just going through that, knowing that, like you said, you called that championship during that time, but it was just one of those runs where it just seemed no matter what South Bend did during the postseason, they couldn't do anything wrong. Yeah, and Dustin, I think that was probably the most cohesive team and group I'd ever been with. You know, I had an opportunity before my senior year at Butler to call Cape Cod League baseball with the Orleans Firebirds. And, you know, I would equate it to something like that where – it was just a group that was together for a long time. Now, it's interesting when you take a look at that roster, there were a lot of moves, there were a lot of injuries, but this, the core group of guys that I would probably say were like the Andy Webbers of the world, the Cole Roters, the Brennan Davises, the guys that had been with the team for months and months and months, they were able to keep a chemistry that I had never seen in the clubhouse. And Buddy Bailey did a great job of no matter who came, he had them doing the same drills weekly. I mean, this is a guy that before the playoffs started, there was an off day. I'll never forget it. There was an off day before the playoffs started. And while I'm sure other teams took the day completely off, Buddy is out here in the ballpark and I'm working that day with Chris Hagstrom and, you know, the South Bend media staff. And here's Buddy bringing the entire um, hitter roster onto the field and working on bunting off a machine on an off day before the playoffs start. And that's just the type of group they had. They did not take days off. Um, they worked every single day on fundamental stuff. That's just who Buddy Bailey is. But as you said, Dustin, you know, the playoffs start, you get a sweep of Bowling Green in the first round, you get a sweep of Great Lakes in the second round. Um, You sweep Clinton in the playoffs. And again, just the level of cohesiveness that that group had, you know, you're talking to these guys after you sweep Bowling Green. And I don't think there was a a cockiness, but there was just a feeling that these guys know they're going to win this thing. And it didn't matter who, what great lakes threw at them. It didn't matter what Clinton threw at them. I remember Clinton threw two starting pitchers who each had not given up a run in 20 plus innings in game two and three. They give up three, four, five runs in the first few. And you're like, and that's when it first sinks in. You're like, this team wasn't losing. And that, again, the level of fun and the level of uh, just energy that every single day in that playoff on those 14 days, uh, it, was, it was like a scene out of a movie. No joke. I mean, there's a reason why Buddy Bailey has as many wins as he does. And that's yeah. exactly for what you just said. He doesn't want his team to take off days and he wants everyone to just be focused all the time. But Fast forward to this year, uh, when South Bend released their roster and you saw the roster they put together, I kind of immediately had a, a little bit of a 2019 feel to it, in my opinion. Like they were, to me, they were the most loaded team in the Cubs system from top to bottom, the starting pitching position wise, just top to bottom. It just seemed like they didn't have a lot of holes. And I know they've gotten off to an eight and nine start right now, which isn't the time of type of start they've wanted to get off to but they've been playing much better the last couple of weeks. And I know Lance Rimel, who was with the Arizona complex league team last year, all he did was lead that team to the best record in the minor league system last year for the Cubs. So it's not like he doesn't know how to win. I just think it's going to take them a little while to gel as opposed to kind of, like you said, in 2019 where everybody was together for so long, they kind of had that cohesiveness right from the start. But this is a team that when I think they start to gel, it's going to be a very scary team to face in the high A this year. I think so too, Dustin. And, you know, in 2019, 
I we didn't get off to the best start either. And I don't know exactly what the best record what, what the record was through the first two weeks, but it was something similar to this eight and nine. And you know how it goes in minor league baseball. There are so many additions and subtractions and you know, a team that wins the first half, likely playoff time, they're not gonna look anything like they did. Um when playoff team when playoff time comes around. That's exactly what happened to Bowling Green, the team that we beat in 2019 in the first round. You know, they were spooky in that first half. I mean, they had guys, Dustin, like Wander Franco and mm-hmm. Shane Flanahan and uh, Nico Holsizer. And then Nico Holsizer gets traded um, midway. So, you know, they're losing multiple five-star prospects, right? And it gets the playoff time. It's a good team, right? But they were nothing like they were. So, you know, in minor league baseball, you win the first half. It's not going to be easy to replicate with that same roster in the second half in playoff time. But, you know, you mentioned a guy like Lance Rimel, who is only four years older than me. He's the youngest manager I've ever worked with. But when you pick his brain and you talk about baseball with him and just his baseball mind, it's intriguing to just talk about his baseball life. This is a guy that was a catcher in the Cubs system who played with my first pro team, actually. I was the announcer for the Boise Hawks in 2017 when they were a Colorado Rockies team, but they were a longtime Cubs affiliate Mm -hmm. in the Northwest League. And Lance played in Boise from 2012 to 2013. I think he also hit uh, Tennessee and Iowa, so he actually played for Buddy Bailey at one point. But um, his teammates in Boise were the likes of Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras and Albert Almora and David Bodie. And, you know, I've, I've tried not to, you know, fanboy, fanboy Lance or whatever, but like, Oh, what was it like to play with Chris Bryant? Yeah. I've, I've tried to just, you know, give the slightest inkling that I'm interested in talking about his career and Lance is great. You'll sit down with him and, you know, an hour will pass by. and You're just like, man, we've been sitting down here for a while. Uh, he is, he is young. He is smart. Um, he has had the right mentors. He has had the right career path. Now, of course, he didn't make the big leagues, but now his mission is to give to these kids something he did not achieve, and that's make the big leagues, right? So um, I, I think Lance is super smart. I think he is going to be a great manager down the road. And you you talk about the level of talent on this roster. It is very 2019-ish. You know, Cole Roeder came here as a 19-year-old. Brennan Davis, the same thing. You know, Owen Casey is still 19. Ed Howard's only 20. Um, you know, Cole Franklin has just turned 21, but he's a guy that hasn't pitched in two years. So the the youth level on this team, market with a couple veterans too, like Caleb Knight behind the plate, you know, Bradley Beasley, a guy in the outfield. It's, it's a good mix. And one thing that I loved about South Bend's roster, and this has always been kind of no disrespect to Theo Epstein or anything like that, but this is always the knock that he's had when he was with the organization. And it was always that he never could consistently develop major league starting pitching for whatever reason it was. Yes. I know he had guys like Dylan cease that he traded away, but outside of that, it never seemed like he was able to develop any sort of consistent starting pitching, for like a longevity side of things. And here you look at South Bend's roster and they're loaded with starting pitching. And I'll get to a couple of them in a second here, but I want to start with DJ Hers, especially. Uh, he got yeah. organizational pitcher of the year last year with Myrtle Beach, where from a record side of things, his record wasn't that great. He was four and four, but he had a three three one ERA with forty four walks and one hundred thirty one strikeouts. Comes to South Bend late last year and showed signs of promise. Now you go into this year, 
four starts into the season, he does not have a win. He does not have a loss, but he's got a 129 ERA with five walks and 20 strikeouts. And I think the thing that stands out to me the most is that 133 opponents batting average, and then you add that to his 157 opponents batting average last year. In my opinion, it's only a matter of time until he gets the bump to double A because what he's been doing in in high A right now, it just seems like he's one step ahead of all these hitters, and I just don't see him sticking with uh, South Bend too much longer. Yeah, especially when you look at that. You know, he's only 21 years old, and he's doing this type of stuff. You know, DJ, he pitched last night in Quad Cities. You know, Cubs take a loss 7-5, to five and actually, does it? it was the wildest wind I have ever seen, uh, breezing straight off of the Mississippi River. There was a play where there was a – uh, the, the most ordinary pop-up you could ever imagine to left field. The wind pushed it all the way to second base behind and to the right of the bag. Uh, it was the, the Wrigley wildest. Field desk, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. But no, this wind is, is gusting straight off of the Mississippi River. So all in all, not an easy night to pitch, right? So DJ takes the mound. And for the first time since September of 2021, Purs walked a batter and gave up a home run in the same game. So that does not happen a lot. But I think DJ would be the first guy to tell you last night he didn't have his best stuff. But I'll never forget something that Brian Lawrence, the South Bend Cubs pitching coach, told me in 2018. The sign of a great pitcher is that they can battle through a night when they don't have their best stuff on the table. And that's exactly what DJ Hers did. Uh, he only gave up that one run in three innings. He still struck out a season-high six batters. So this is a gamer. This is a kid that works hard, or that works not only harder, but quicker than anybody I've ever seen. You know, you have the addition of the pitch clock here in the Midwest League this year. Uh, DJ Hurst, it's is the pitch clock. Uh, the guy doesn't even pay attention to it. Uh, he is throwing seconds after he gets the baseball back from the catcher. And you pair DJ Hurst in the rotation with a guy like Jordan Wicks, with a guy like Cole Franklin, Daniel Palencia, a very hard thrower. Uh, Max Bain, Chris Clark, uh, you know, as you said, the roster to start this year, it's the rotation that's on the marquee. If you're putting up a movie marquee and somebody's coming to watch a show, that those are the guys you're putting up as the stars. And that has been the case so far. The Cubs, I think, coming into today, have the third best ERA in the Midwest League. At I think it might be off the check again as we're still uh, getting ready for the game today, but it might be at 3.6. Um, but it, it is it is strong. And then you just kind of mentioned him, a fellow left-hander and 2021 first-round pick Jordan Wicks uh, did pitch with South Bend briefly last year. And I know his numbers weren't great last year, but, I mean, seven innings, limited sample size, you really can't knock him for any of that. I go to this year, and he's got a 3-1-8 ERA through his three starts. And I think what's most impressive to me this year through with him is just his command. He's got two walks, 13 strikeouts, that 292 opponents batting average. I know he doesn't like it to be that high, so he wants it to get a lot lower than that. But even like watching him last year and just kind of going through the scouting report and just watching him as in general, Jordan Wicks reminds me a lot of Cole Hamels and just kind of his stuff mm. and the fastball and the stuff he uses. I'm not going to sit here and compare him to Cole Hamels because Cole Hamels is one of the best lefties of the past two decades, but he just has kind of that Cole Hamels makeup to me. And I just think that's the type of pitcher that he's going to be someone like that. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely compare the changeup, right? I mean, that Wicks changeup is lethal 
and it was on display a couple days ago as he had definitely his best start of the year so far against Quad Cities, escaping a bases-loaded jam, too. You know, he had the battle, but again, uh, he brought some really good stuff to the table here in QC with those four innings. So uh, he's on the quick road, no doubt about it, at 22, first-round pick, college arm out of Kansas State. So, I mean, I think we're going to enjoy him here in South Bend for as long as we can, right? And, uh, you know, it's really a show anytime he takes the mound. But, you know, a name that I really came up with, too, Dustin, you know, you mentioned Cole Hamels as the stuff comparison. From yep. a direct motion comparison, you know, I'm going with Andy Pettit. Okay. He's got a great pickoff move to first, and it's a decisive way that Wicks deals the baseball. He really does a good job of hiding it. He builds a lot of weight off that left foot. And when I saw him for the first time, as you alluded to, he made his professional debut last year with South Bend on September 5th. Uh, it, it, was, it spoke Andy Pettit to me, just the way he hides the baseball to the hitter. Um, good pickoff move. Now, from a stuff standpoint, again, I think you can make the comparison to a guy like Hamels with that changeup. But with just how he looks on the mound, uh, I'm going with Pettit. And then, you know, he wears number 34, Dustin, uh, with, and his jersey is a little bit baggy on him. He looks exactly like John Lester. From a body comparison, it is not even funny just how close that that body looks to like a John Lester type of player. So, um, that's very exciting for any Cubs fan, I think, to hear names like Hamels and Pettit and, and Lester pop up. I mean, I wish Jordan Wicks the absolute best. He's a pro. He's a great guy. I mean, he's 22, but it's like talking to a 40-year-old when you interview him. So um, he uh, he's going to be a fan favorite of Cubs fans for, year to come, for years to come. Uh, Chris Clark is in the rotation. He was another high draft pick a couple of years ago. I've always yep. loved the stuff he's had, and for whatever reason, he picked up his first professional win, I think, in his last start. And that's not, not a knock against him because the guy's pitched a lot better than what his record shows. Uh, same thing with Max Bain. Max Bain is another big, hard thrower that didn't have the greatest in terms of results last year. But, again, he had one of those situations where I don't think his record did him just last year. You look at the 5-5-2 ERA last year, and it was only really a couple of big innings that altered his season. But – the other guy that I'm very excited to see back on the mound is Cole Franklin. And this was one yeah. of those guys that was, in my opinion, probably the fastest rising pitching prospect the Cubs had a couple of years ago. He got up to, I believe, number seven in the system was his high mark before falling back a little bit this year because of the other prospects that the Cubs had come in. He's off to a slow start this year, but that's to be expected when you really don't throw a professional inning for nearly three years. And, I know a lot of people have had some high hopes from him in spring training. He got some of that experience in spring training that I think is going to do really well for him. Just what are your thoughts on Cole Franklin in terms of how do you see him fitting in the Cubs' future? I've already said that he was going to be kind of that middle of the rotation arm with front end of the rotation stuff, but I just kind of like him in that middle of the rotation spot, kind of similar to where he is right now. I, I think that's a great point. And, Cole, I think, is a guy that is still really growing into his body. That's the crazy part where, you know, he has the surgery. And obviously, any time after an operation, you're going to lose some strength. So he's still putting that back together. And I think it's scary, the fact that he is still growing and he's throwing 100 miles an hour. You know, he is averaging 97, 98 consistently based off of the guns we have seen. And he's set to start tonight in Quad City. So I guess keep an eye out on that one. Um, you know, I was really impressed with Cole's last start against Beloit 
after, you know, he is still being limited to pitch count, Dustin. And, yeah. you know, he's still working back because before his first start of the year, he did not pitch since he was with South Bend a couple days before that Midwest League championship run started in 2019. He pitched two days before the playoffs started. And we're like, this kid's unreal. And then uh, COVID hits and then he gets hurt in 2021. You're like, man, this is just terrible for the kid. Um, but his first start limited you to pitch count. His second start in Fort Wayne only went two thirds of an inning. And that's not because he was, you know, off the mark or anything. It was just because he needed to throw 30 plus pitches to get out of an inning. He struck out the last two guys he faced, but this last start against Beloit, two scoreless innings, dominant fashion. I think the strikeout number was four. Uh, it, it showed what Cole Franklin can do. And I'm really intrigued to what we can see tonight because I think he's still going to be limited due to pitch count. But at each and every start, you just and better and better, right? And hopefully that can mean the same with the strengthening of his arm. So I think he's one of the most exciting prospects in the organization. I think he's one of the most personal prospects I've ever been around. His personality is built for Wrigley Field and built for Marquee Sports Network and what they're trying to do. Um, so I, I, the Cubs got themselves an absolute great kid, and uh, I, I'm pumped for his future. Then we have two more pitchers before I move on to hitters here. Uh, Chris Clark, like I was mentioning, picked up his first professional win the other day, and it it actually came out of relief. It didn't even come as a starter. He gave uh, South Bend four innings of work out of the bullpen, which he looked very good, and he's been a very consistent this year. He was very consistent last year despite – the wind's not translating. Do you see Chris Clark as somebody that can remain in the rotation, or do you kind of see him filling that role that Keegan Thompson has started to excel with with the Major League Club where he's not a starter, but he gives you starter innings out of the bullpen? I think either can happen, and I think the Cubs are trying to figure that out right now. Um, you know, Chris Clark, a guy that – He's six foot seven. You know, if you put him in the bullpen and he becomes an inning by inning guy, that's scary, man. With his stuff, he's got a great two seamer. Um, he's got a solid changeup. But I I love that they're trying to make him into a starter. I think he can be a starter. Um, but whatever they decide to do with him, I think he's on a fast track for success. He's a college arm. He's, again, very personable. I, I love the personalities, Dustin, on the South Bank Cubs team. Yep. If you, can go up, you can go up to any guy and have a solid conversation. And I'm happy that Clarky got his first win of his career. It's well, It was well-earned. And, um, you know, he's he's exciting. But I, I'm right with you. I, I, I am intrigued what they're going to do with him because I think he's got options. And whatever they decide to do, I think it's big league quality stuff. And then the last picture I want to touch on here is somebody that we haven't seen in quite a while. Somebody that when they drafted him back in 20, I think it was 2018, they drafted him 2019 when they drafted him. I thought he was going to be the closer of the future. And that was mainly because of what he did with Louisville after having Tommy John surgery. And that's Michael McAveen, who when the Cubs drafted him, he was known for one thing. And that was that wicked slider, wicked slur, whatever you want to call it that made college hitters look silly. He displayed that slider with Eugene where he had four walks and 20 strikeouts and just 12 innings with Eugene, but he's thrown a grand total of two thirds of an inning in the years since 2019. And I know he's injured right now. The South Bend expect to see Michael McAveen at any point this year. And 
is he a guy that you think has closer potential, kind of like how I saw him when the Cubs drafted him in 2019? That was the goal, right? Just as you said. But, you know, I wish I, I, wish I knew. Um, you know, as broadcasters in minor league baseball, you know, we, we find out about roster moves when the managers tell us. And I guess I can break this on your show right now because it is official. Uh, Riley Martin has been promoted to the South Bend Cubs. That came in the last 20 minutes. Dalton Sombaugh is going to double-A Tennessee. So uh, there you so go, a little breaking news. Let's talk about show. Riley Martin when we finish up with Michael McAveen here because I was actually going to have uh, Myrtle Beach's play-by-play announcer on next week, and that was one of the guys I was going to talk about with him. But since he's up, we'll touch on him as soon as we finish up with McAveen here. Yeah, yeah. And I've never met Michael. I've only watched him. Um, but I, the stuff is electrifying, right? So um, if, if he does head to South Bend, that'd be great. Uh, by the way, Sam Wiederhalf, uh, Myrtle Beach's announcer, he's a guy actually I went to school with. We both, we both went to Butler, and uh, he's the guy. He was a freshman when I was a senior, and he actually took over for me in the lead student broadcast spot um, after I left. So Sammy's a great guy, and uh, I'm sure he'll be great on the pod for you. Um, but, you know, that's exciting. Riley Martin, guy had had a uh, .68 earned run average at Myrtle Beach. He'll join the team for the rest of the away season. Um, you know, hoping for big things out of him, too. And, you know, good for a guy like Dalton Stombaugh, who did not give up a run, Dustin, in eight and two-thirds innings of work with South Bend. So, um, great guy, and uh, wish him success at Double A. Yeah, you talked about Riley Martin in that .68 ERA, but what most Cubs fans don't even realize is that .68 ERA doesn't even do him just for how good he's pitched this year. He's thrown four games. And he's given Myrtle Beach 13 in the third inning. He's got four walks and 27 strikeouts in 13 innings. That's just mind-blowing when you think about it, even at, like, the low A level. And given what I've seen out of him in Myrtle Beach, I cannot wait to see him get into the South Bend bullpen to see if he can keep that up. Because if he can keep that up, not only is he going to be on the fast track, but he's got a very good chance to finish the year in Iowa this year. If those are the numbers that you can expect at South Bend and then in Tennessee. Yeah, that's that's a good point because he's 24 years old. And this isn't like a, you know, this isn't a DJ Hers who's still 21 um, and was drafted out of high school. You know, this is a guy out of Quincy uh, College in Illinois who is a veteran arm and had gotten a shot at low A. He made that opportunity the most of it, right? And, you know, who knows where he ends up. Uh, if he posts the same type of numbers at South Bend, as you just said, we might not see him too long. Uh, if, you know, if he needs a little more grooming here, he might be here for a bit. You know, that's that's a great question. And, you know, again, if uh, <laughs> it just benefits the South Bend bullpen, right? I mean, it just continues to strengthen, and uh, we'll see how it goes. And from an offensive side of things, there's plenty of well-known hitters on this roster. Obviously, one of the guys that everyone wants to talk about is 2020 first-round pick Ed Howard, who is a Chicago kid. Everybody wants him to be the face of the Cubs franchise for many years, which I think he does have a great chance to be the face of the franchise. But the thing with Ed Howard, and this is no fault against him, it is... 100% COVID's fault, which we can't do anything about that. But you have a kid that dominated on the prep circuit, was a first-round pick, came into the Cubs organization, was was expected to contribute right away, and he could not even play a game until 2021 because of COVID. So he loses an entire year of development, 
takes his bumps along the way with Myrtle Beach last year where he hit a 225, but he hit much better that final month of the season. Comes to South Bend where kind of the same thing right now. He's hitting a 196, but he's been putting together some much better at-bats over the last week. So what are your initial thoughts of Ed Howard now that you get to see him in person on an everyday basis? Yeah, Dustin, this was something I said on the broadcast not too long ago where, you know, a, a really close personal friend of mine is Andy Weber, um, who's a shortstop in the Cubs system. And he was our shortstop in 2019 and, you know, a guy that was here all season long. So, you know, we have, everybody got close and uh, Andy and I became very good friends. Um, it, Webb would be the first guy to tell you that his first, you know, let's call it um, two, three weeks, his glove was not where it needed to be. Uh, he was struggling at shortstop, but he got better, and he eventually became our best defender, making Derek Jeter-style plays in the playoffs. Um, you know, same thing for Glaber Torres. I wasn't here in 2015, but the stories, you know, Glaber really struggled with the cold in 2015. Mm-hmm. It is not The Midwest League is not an easy league to play in in April. Uh, we are, I just told you that wind story not too long ago. It's cold. Um, rarely you get in these 70, 80 degree days. You know, we had one oh, at I home. Live, I live up by Green Bay. So, I mean, I haven't yeah. had those days since I think the beginning of April and the last one day. Right. Yeah. So th- they are few and far between. But I will say this about Ed Howard. You know, Ed, the bat will come along. That, that It's just guaranteed. You know, once he gets comfortable and he has enough bats here in high A, the bat's going to explode. Guaranteed. But the glove, the glove is something that I have been amazed by. He has made every single play. He has not had trouble with any ranging plays in the hole up the middle. He has turned every double play that has been hit to him. The, the glove is outstanding. And I think that should excite Cubs fans to no other. That he's used to playing in the cold in March and April. Hell, he played Illinois high school baseball. He went to my rival high school, Mount Carmel. Um, we, we, we played Mount Carmel, I remember, in high school. So, uh, you know, Ed and I immediately connected on that. But he's used to playing in these conditions. And that should make any Cubs executive very happy that it would probably mean down the road, not a guarantee, he should have no issue playing in that, you know, April Wrigley environment when it's cold and windy and rainy. Um, he, he's used to it, and that has given the Cubs a huge boost uh, up the middle of the field to start this year. And from an outfield side of things, South Bend has, I believe, eight or nine outfielders and only three positions to fill. So, I mean, these yeah. outfielders are not going to get the everyday regular at-bats that they expect to see right now. But with the terror that Nelson Velasquez has all of a sudden gone on at A, I think a couple of these outfielders are going to get promoted up to A, which should help kind of get the at-bats starting to flow a little bit more frequently. But Owen Casey is a guy that I'm extremely high on, especially after what he showed with Arizona and Myrtle Beach last year. I know he's gotten off to a rough start in his standards with South Bend, but just Owen Casey being 19 years old and just kind of the way he goes about his business, I think he's more destined to be a designated hitter once he gets the chance to be up in the majors just because with the DH being around it's actually going to help some of these players get to the major leagues faster I think but Owen Casey's one of those guys that at six foot four he's 190 pounds right now so he'll be able to add to that frame I love his left-handed bat I think he's got a chance to be kind of one of those Kyle Schwarber type of hitters in the middle of the lineup just because he is a left-handed bat he's got a very natural swing and he has shown some great 
power in that bat when he's had an opportunity to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah, and you know his BP sessions are really fun to watch. No matter where you go, um, he hits the ball about as hard as anybody I've seen. Uh, you know, it, it it takes time. You know, I remember Cole Roeder in nineteen. He was nineteen years old, and it took him a while. I mean, I I don't think he hit above two fifty until June. Um, it, I, I'm very comfortable with the Cubs challenging their young guys. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very comfortable with Owen Casey being at a high A ball. Will it take a minute to get adjusted? Absolutely. But we saw Cole Roeder really lock in at the plate come July and August. And he was a monstrous part of that championship run. It's going to take some time. But if Casey stays healthy and he's able to get these everyday at-bats, I'm cool with him striking out and, and him learning because that's what this is for. Um, I, I always was very I, – or I always admired – the Padres organization, because in Fort Wayne, they were getting 18, 19 year old kids. And that was basically their entire squad. Is it important to have veterans on your roster? Absolutely. But I was always amazed by what the Padres did. And now more recently, you're seeing the Cubs really challenge their young kids and putting to the Casey's and the Howard's and uh, the Franklin's at high a and giving them the, the Pinangos too. He's, you know, he's still 19 years old. Um, you're, you're seeing these kids get challenged and, Again, if it if it means that in July and August that we're going to have the scariest lineup in the Midwest League and you had to be a little patient in April, I'm absolutely cool with it. And then the trade that I think everyone was – of all the trades the Cubs made last year, I think the trade that everyone is the most okay with at this point was the deal that sent Chris Bryant to the Giants because not only did they get – Caleb Killian, who appears to be the real deal and is someone that I think makes the major league roster next year. But they got yeah. a hitter named Alexander Canario, who at six foot one, 165 pounds, he's not a big human. But when you watch him hit a baseball, you would never guess that he's 165 pounds. And I remember your call on this last year, and I think it was the first home run that he hit with South Bend last year. I don't think it's landed yet because I didn't even see where that ball ended up outside of going by that building in left field. But Alexander Canario, to me, I'm extremely high on just because you know he's going to put on, you know he's going to put weight on that 165 pound frame and the power that he's displayed since getting to South Bend, especially in the recent week where all of a sudden he's just seeing the ball like it's a beach ball. You add another 20, 25 pounds to his frame, he's going to have light tower power for years to come. No doubt, and uh, I would even say, Dustin, those 25 pounds have already come. I, I can tell you he's not 165 pounds right now. Um, his thighs are tree trunks. They, they are huge. Um, he, he really put in some work in the offseason, and he, I mentioned Casey's batting practice sessions. I mean, you come to South Bend and you watch Canario take BP, it is lethal. Um, it, it, it's mesmerizing. You know, it, it is – these tiki hut shots, uh, these home runs are hitting the Cubs Den team store. I mean, it is all over. And um, as you said, just an exciting prospect, a guy that is hitting the cover off the ball. He just hit two home runs the other day in Quad Cities, the second of which was no doubt about it into the Mississippi River, Gonzo, however you want to describe it. It was just wrecked. Um, so exciting. Um 
energetic. This is a guy that can back clean up for you every day. It's going to take some grooming. He's still at high A after all. But, uh, you know, with a successful run here in South Bend, the bat's really starting to heat up. Um, Cubs fans, you know, we, we keep on saying this, that Cubs fans are going to love this guy. Uh, just throw Canario again into that group. And then you mentioned him a couple of minutes ago that Johendrik Pinango is a 19-year-old who really burst onto the scene in 2019 as a part of the Dominican Summer League, where not only did he hit a 358 that year to lead the entire Dominican Summer League, but he had more walks than he did strikeouts. He had 27 steals that year, and he did not hit a home run. Goes to Myrtle Beach last year, where the final three months of the season, he hits above a 300 to finish at a 276. Now look, going into South Bend this year, he's hitting a 286, and he's starting to show the patience that he had. He still has some power that he's really developed into the last couple of years. Pinango, I still think, is obviously a couple of years away, but just looking at his makeup and watching him with Myrtle Beach last year, I think he has that future to be a potential leadoff hitter for the Cubs because he's going to give you a high batting average. He's not going to be a big-time power guy, but he's going to be a guy that gets on base a lot because of the walks, because of the high batting average, and that's something that every team wants is a high on-base percentage leadoff guy. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about the Tiki Hut shots in left field for Canario. I mean, Pinango BP, it's just back-to-back-to-back scoreboard shots, one after another, wild. Um, so he he's a guy that's still growing, I think. He put on some weight in the offseason, but um, just huge, muscular, strong, um, a good bat. And, you know, again, he's so young where – it's it's hard to project what these guys can be, but clearly the Cubs wanted to challenge him. They put him at high A last year for a reason, and that was in 2021. He's still 19 right now. Um, you know, he is hitting third pretty much every day. He's in the lineup here. Um, great contact ability. He plays a solid corner outfield too. Um, uh, just another exciting prospect that you can add to the bunch. Initial thoughts on Jordan Wogu. Huge. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you talk about the Canario tree trunk thighs. Uh, Wogu have not seen a lot of him just because, as you said, there's a lot of mouse to feed in that outfield. Uh, there are guys that need playing time. Thankfully, in the Midwest League, obviously, you get the DH, so you can cycle the Canarios and Pinagos and Wogu's around there. But, you know, Wogu's a top 30 prospect for a reason. He's got a gun in center field off of that arm. Um, so I'm excited to learn more about him and see him. But, you know, a polished college bat. Um, a guy that put up huge numbers in the Big Ten. And look, I mean, if you're going to be drafted in 2020, a draft that only had five rounds, you're selected for a reason. You know, there were limited players drafted um, in those selections. So Wogu, a guy that was a hot commodity, and he was a third-round pick in a five-round draft for a reason. So uh, let's see what he can do. And the last player that I want to touch on is Cole Roderer, who, I mean, I got a f- you got a feel for this kid when the Cubs drafted him. He came out of high school, and he put on a pretty good showing with the Arizona League that year, and I think that helped him get into the top 10 prospect conversation. And like you said back in 2019, he got off to a horrible start, and I think a lot of people, and I think him, even he would tell you this, that that cold weather that he had to deal with, he was not used to coming from California. So I think a lot of that had to do with his early season struggles. But once he started – to get into that groove, he finished with nine homers. He led the team in 2019 with 60 RBIs, and the Cubs really started to see that potential. And then he has the year off in 2020, 
only plays 21 games or only plays 20 games last year before he gets hurt. And now I believe he's hurt again. So you just got to feel for this kid because he's still a top 20 or top 30 prospect, but he's now hovering around that 24, 25 mark, mainly because the Cubs farm system has gotten a lot better. And it's because he hasn't really seen much action over the past three years. And I just want to get this kid back on the field because I've already seen the glove. You've already seen the glove. He's got gold glove caliber defense in center field for a reason. He was always regarded as one of the best hitting prep bats when he was drafted. So once that bat starts to come to the level that the Cubs expect it to be, he's going to be an everyday center fielder for somebody, whether it's with the Cubs or whether it's somebody else. Yeah, and, you know, when he uh, started hitting around 250, 260 in August of 2019, all credit goes to the coaching staff. You know, Buddy Bailey for spending so much time with him, hitting Coach Paul McAnulty, bench coach Pedro Gonzalez. They worked with him every single day. And, uh, you know, Cole, he, he, I think he changed up his stance just a little bit, especially where he positioned his hands uh, before he swung. And, look, learn from a big former big leaguer like Paul McAnulty, uh, who was the then hitting coach, uh, and Mac was a California guy too. Um, you know, that'll help Cole immensely and it continue and it continues to help him. Um, you know, I know Cole has gotten bigger too. He put on some massive weight, you know, in 2019, he looked like a 19 year old and, you know, he had talked about hitting the gym and building strength. And that's exactly what he did in the off season. You know, you saw pictures of him before COVID hit in 2020. You're like, man, this is the same kid. Um, and it, Cole got big and he continues to put in the work and it's going to be exciting wherever he ends up. Um, you know, I'm rooting for it that he comes here first so I can see my buddy again. Um, but we'll see. I, I think Cole definitely deserves to hit double A. So if he does come here to South Bend, I hope for his sake, it's not for long and he can just wreck the ball and go straight to double A. But, um, y- you know, he's kind of, as you said, he's that guy that is kind of falling on prospect boards, but I can tell you he doesn't care about that. Um, he, all he cares about is making the big leagues. So he's going to put in the work necessary, and he's going to get it done. Uh, he's a guy I root for. Now, the last question I have for you before I let you go is, you're in the organization a lot closer than I am. I see stuff from the outside looking in. You're on the inside, so you get to see everything from top to bottom. And knowing that, there is going to be a large chunk of this South Bend roster moving on at some point this year. It's just a matter of who, it's just a matter of when. But then on the flip side, you have guys like we've already seen it. Riley Martin from Myrtle Beach has gotten called up. But looking at the Myrtle Beach roster, do you see anybody that's on that roster right now that you think are going to, that will make it to South Bend, whether it's soon, whether it's later in the year? And do you see those players contributing? Like, I think a guy like, James Triantos has a great shot to get up at some point, Reggie Preciado and names like that. But are there other players on Myrtle Beach that you think are going to end up helping South Bend at some point this year? We will see. We will definitely see. I mean, if anything, Buddy Bailey is getting his guys ready for high A. I mean, that's the development of Buddy. That's what he does. Um, I mean, Pete Crow Armstrong is hitting the cover off the ball down there. And whenever – I think it's kind of funny. They already have a monogram for him, PCA. I mean, that's – you know, I was talking with Justin Stone the Cubs director of hitting uh, about a month and a half ago. And, you know, he was, he was just saying PCA, PCA, you know, like, man, this kid, this kid's already famous and he, he hasn't even gotten the high A ball yet. So I, I don't know what the kind of approach they're going to have on Pete Crow Armstrong. You know, I remember a guy like Jared Young in 2018 who's now a double A. He was an all-star in the Midwest league. He stayed about halfway. And then he went to high A Myrtle beach at the time directly after the all-star break. So is that something you're going to do with Pete Crow Armstrong? He's, he's, was at that time 
I mean, do they let PCA mash for a half and then send them to South Bend for the second half? Do they let hundred and be like, man, we can't keep this kid at high A. Do we send them to high or do we can't keep him at low A? Do we send him to high A now? Uh, that that's intriguing. So whatever they decide to do with him, I mean, I, it will be the right path because that's the that's the leadership of the Cubs right now. I mean, Justin Stone is is one of the smartest baseball guys I've ever talked to. So um, I, whatever they decide with some guys in Myrtle Beach, I'm uh, I'm fully on board. Awesome. Brendan, uh, once again, thanks for joining me. This was a pleasure. I really hope to have you on again at some point this year, especially the second half of the year once the whole baseball trade deadline goes through and we can kind of see if the Cubs have added more pieces, if there's more pieces that come through the Myrtle Beach up to South Bend to help. And hopefully we're talking another Midwest League championship push this year. I hope so, Dustin. Appreciate you having me, man, and uh, happy to hop on anytime. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Dustin. Yep.